0: Good evening, everyone. This evening, we celebrate the vigil of the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So I'd like to share with you this evening a meditation on Our Lady of Guadalupe, including the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe. To do so, we need to begin with some important background, which is speaking of the original Lady of Guadalupe from Guadalupe in Spain. You may not be familiar with it, but uh, according to ancient tradition, A statue carved by St. Luke the Evangelist was given to St. Leander, Archbishop of Seville in southern Spain, by Pope Gregory the Great, St. Gregory the Great, who was Pope around the year 600. Now in 712, Seville fell to the Moors and a lot of the clergy fled to the north. And uh, along with them they took this famous statue and they buried it in the hills, near the Guadalupe River in Extremadura, which south is southwestern Spain, southwest of Madrid. So she was buried in the, in, in a riverbank. Early in the 14th century, that is early in the 1300s, Our Lady appeared to a shepherd named Gil Cordero and told him to ask the priests in the area to dig at the site of the apparition. And there they rediscovered this hidden statue, which again, according to tradition, was carved by St. Luke the Evangelist, and they built a shrine which evolved into the great monastery of Our Lady of Guadalupe, named for that river nearby. The devotion to her grew so much that she became one of the patronesses of the Reconquista of Spain, the reconquest of Spain from the Moors. Keep in mind that Spain was dominated by Islam for 800 years. It took 800 years of warfare to reclaim Spain from the Moors, and one of the patronesses of the Reconquista, the Reconquest of Spain, along with St. James, who's the patron saint of Spain, the famous Santiago, whose shrine is in northwestern Spain. The other great patroness of the Reconquista, along with St. James, was Our Lady of Guadalupe in Guadalupe in Spain. And she also became one of the great patronesses of the discovery of the New World. Keep in mind that it was at the Monastery of Our Lady of Guadalupe, that the Catholic Majesties, Ferdinand and Isabel, signed the official uh, libellus, or a bulletin, giving uh, the document which authorized Columbus's first voyage to the West, to the Indies, to the New World. So it was there at Guadalupe they actually signed the document authorizing his voyage and funding his voyage. And actually, previous to that, their first meeting with him had been at Guadalupe. Now, Guadalupe is the middle of nowhere. It's on the, kind of in the mountains southwest of Madrid in the middle of Extremadura, which is extrema y dura, which is extreme and rugged country, right? But we know from historical records that their great Catholic Majesties Ferdinand and Isabel of Castile and Leon made 22 pilgrimages to the Monastery of Guadalupe. As I said, that's where they first met Columbus, and that's where they gave permission to sail to the New World. So he went along with the devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe, And upon his return, after his first visit to the New World, the first Native Americans ever to be baptized were baptized in Guadalupe at the monastery. There's a painting of it in the back of the church. As a matter of fact, when I first went there, and I must tell you, it's an extraordinarily beautiful place and one of my favorite places. I've been blessed to travel so many places, but the original Guadalupe in Spain is worth a detour, worth a visit. And I was looking, I thought, how cool would it be to see the baptismal font in which the first Native Americans were baptized. They were brought back from the New World by Columbus and baptized there in Guadalupe, of all places, in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of Spain, southwestern Spain. I was looking for the, and there was a painting of the baptism of the first, you know, Americans in the back of the church. And I'm looking all over for this font. Then it hit me. It's actually the fountain that's out in the square now. Somehow, the big huge stone baptismal fountain ended up being the public fountain out in the square in front of the monastery. In any event, the shrine was so important that to give thanks to her for the voyage, for the discovery, and to baptize the first Native Americans, Columbus returned to Guadalupe. Now, many of the great conquistadores of the New World were from Extremadura, from that extreme and poor region. They went off to the New World to seek fame and fortune. And so, of course, they brought along with them their devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Keep in mind that Cortes, who conquered Mexico, was from Extremadura, Pizarro, who conquered Peru, Valdivia, who conquered Chile, De Soto, who uh, explored the southwest of the United States, and Balboa, who uh, conquered Panama and was the first to see the Pacific, and other conquistadores and many sailors hailed from Extremadura and they took their devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe with them. That's part of the background, Our Lady of Guadalupe in Spain. More on that in a few minutes. Another part of the background is what was going on in Mexico at the time that Columbus landed and then when the Spaniards showed up. You know, there's kind of this politically correct understanding that there were these noble savages in the New World and then these wicked Europeans came and brought them diseases and enslaved them and killed them and it it's all been a disaster ever since. Well, certainly the Aztecs who dominated Mexico, remember the Aztecs dominated Mexico, the Mayans dom- dominated Central America, and the Incas dominated South America. The Aztecs had achieved a great level of culture, you know, very important uh, in terms of uh, government, agriculture, military, astronomy, many of the sciences. Now keep in mind they hadn't invented the wheel, but they had achieved a certain level of civilization which was important. That said, it had a very dark side to it because, they, of course, they practiced slavery and they practiced human sacrifice. The tribes that they conquered, and the Aztecs conquered many tribes and kind of ruled over these subjugated tribes throughout Mexico, the conquered tribes were either enslaved or sacrificed. And generally, every year, 50,000 human beings were sacrificed to the god Huitzilopochtli, the hummingbird wizard, who's one of the Aztec gods, otherwise known by his nickname, the drinker of blood. To satisfy him, over 50,000 sacrifices a year. Now keep in mind that in the year 1487, this is just five years before Columbus lands in the new world. In the Year 1487, at the dedication of the temple of Huitzilopochtli in Tenochtitlan, that is present day Mexico City, 80,000 human beings were sacrificed over four days to dedicate the temple. 80,000 over four days. You wanna read something gruesome? Read exactly the method that they used. Took them not very long at all, and they just bring them up the temple, cut the hearts out, and throw the body down down the stairs, right, in any event. 80,000 human beings in four days. This was the enlightened civilization that the wicked, evil Christian Spaniards came to destroy and dominate. Now, in 1487, that year of the dedication of the temple to the hummingbird wizard and drinker of blood in Mexico City, in that very year, Cuauhtlatuac, that is, he who talks like an eagle, whose Christian name became Juan Diego, was 13 years old. So he was 13 years old. He was old enough to know what was going on in the city at that time. That's 1487. More background. The conquest of Mexico. There was an Aztec prophecy of Quetzalcoatl. Quetzalcoatl was one of the Aztec gods. He was fair and he had hair on his face, which was something extraordinary because the Aztecs could not, didn't have any facial hair. They couldn't grow beards or mustaches. There was a prophecy of Quetzalcoatl who would come from the east to usher in a new era and rule in a one ye. He'd come in a one reed year and a one-read year occurred only every 52 years, including in 1519. Well, in 1519, Cortes landed in Veracruz in Mexico, seeking gold and glory, but also the glory of God and the evangelization of the natives. Keep in mind that Cortes was 33 years old, and he was an extraordinarily capable and brave young man for that age. They arrived at Veracruz, and what did he say? Fuego a las naves, burn the ships. In other words, men, we are not going back. And with a few hundred men, just a couple hundred men, he conquered the Aztec Empire. Of course, they made allies along the way among the native tribes that had been subjugated and enslaved by the Aztecs that wanted to rise up against them. But with just a few hundred men, he conquered this vast and extraordinary empire. And as the governor of New Spain, he obtained religious priests to spearhead the evangelization of the newly conquered empire. Pagan temples were destroyed, including the temple to Tonantzin. Tonantzin was the earth mother goddess, and this temple was on a hill just north of Mexico, a hill called Tepeyac, just north of Mexico City. That's the background. Now fast forward, not so fast forward, to 1531, 1531. Young Juan Diego, he who speaks like an eagle, lives north of Mexico City and he's going south because he's on his way to church on December 9th, 1531. And he's passing Tepeyac Hill and he noticed something extraordinary. The birds are really singing their hearts out. Tons of birds in an early December morning. And so he goes up the Tepeyac Hill and he encounters a vision of Our Lady of Guadalupe well, Our Lady, and she says to him, she requests that a church be built on that site and that he go to the bishop and tell him of her wishes. This is how it is described in the Mopua*. That is what she says to Juan Diego, the ancient account of this apparition. She said to him, I love you. I desire you to know who I am. I am the ever virgin Mary, mother of the true God who gives life and maintains its existence. He created all things. He is in all places. He is Lord of heaven and earth. I desire a church in this place where your people may experience my compassion. All those who sincerely ask for my help in their work and in their sorrows will know my mother's heart in this place. Here I will see their tears, I will console them and they will be at peace. So Juan Diego, who was a Christian but still learning his catechism, that's why he was on his way to church to go to mass and catechism, goes to the bishop and of course the bishop doesn't believe him, right? The bishop's name was Juan de Sumarraga. He was Basque from Northern Spain and he was a Franciscan bishop. So he was Spanish and of course he knew all about the devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe in Spain. Now, the next, so, Juan Diego, obviously frustrated, heads back home, and on the way back home, he sees Our Lady of Guadalupe again, and she insists that he return tomorrow. So, the next day, this is the third apparition on December 10th, Juan Diego goes back to the bishop with a message, and he asks once again for, a and, the, and he asks the bishop to build this church, and the bishop Doubtful asks Juan Diego to go back to this lady and ask for a sign. So he heads back up north, back up to the mountain of Tepeyac, the hill of Tepeyac, and she appears, and he says the bishop is asking for a sign. So she says, all right, come back the next day, and I will give you the sign. That is, come back on the 11th. However... Juan Diego's uncle is gravely ill, and he gets increasingly terribly ill throughout the day, and they fear for his death. So Juan Diego doesn't go back to Tepeyac for the sign on the 11th. He stays home and (coughs) nurses his uncle. However, the next day, the 12th, he decides he needs to go to Mexico City and get the priest to bring the last sacraments to his uncle, who is dying. So he hightails it on the morning of the 12th from just north of Mexico City by Tepeyac Hill to go to Mexico to get the priest, and he does by doing, what he does is he avoids the hill because he doesn't want to run into Our Lady because he doesn't want to get delayed from his, you know, he's got to get the priest because his uncle is dying. I know you laugh because he's avoiding Mary, but that's the way it goes. Uh, if you've been to Guadalupe, you know as you face, well, the, the old basilica is in front of you. The new basilica is on the left. On the right is the little chapel that commemorates the spot where he tried to go around the hill and she stopped him. She headed him off at the pass, right? She's like, um, little Juan Diego, like, where are you going? Uh, He's like, i got to go get the priest because my uncle is dying. So what does she do, of course? She reassures him. She assures him that his uncle will be healed and tells him to go up the hill, leads him up the hill, where she will give him the sign to take to the bishop. So he goes up the hill, and what does he see covering this hill of Tepeyac? This is on December 12th. And it doesn't get as cold in Mexico City as it does here, but it's still December. And the hill is covered with Castilian roses, long-stemmed red roses. So Our Lady asks Juan Diego to take his tilma, take his, his cloak, his roughly, roughly woven cloak, uh, which, made, which is made of vegetable fibers, right? And to hold it up, and she herself places these roses in this cloak, and she says, take this cloak to the bishop, don't show it to anyone else, don't let anyone else take any rose, roses or anything, just take it to him. So Juan Diego heads on his way, he's thinking, this is amazing that all these beautiful roses are growing on this hill in December. This is the sign for the bishop. And what does she say to him when she appears to him and gives him the roses? Again, from the Nican Mopua, which you can look up online, the relation, the early Aztec relation of the appearance of Our Lady of Guadalupe. She says on the 12th, listen, put it into your heart my youngest and dearest son, that the thing that frightened you, the thing that afflicted you, is nothing. Do not let it disturb you. Do not fear any sickness nor any hurtful thing. She's referring to his uncle's sickness. Do not fear any sickness or any hurtful thing. Am I not here who am your mother? Are you not under my shadow and protection? Am I not the source of your joy? Are you not in the hollow of my mantle, in my arms? Are you lacking anything? Let nothing else worry you or disturb you. Call me and call my image Holy Mary Guadalupe. Now, it's not clear, it's shrouded in mystery, why she's called Guadalupe, but the supposition is that she told Juan Diego that her name was a Nahuatl name, that is an Aztec language name, which is Quatzlajupe, which is pronounced Quat, Quatlasupe, supe, which means she who has dominion over serpents. She has dominion over serpents. What's the image of Our Lady in the church in the Book of Revelation? She crushes the serpent with her heel, right? So Quatlasupe, That is, she who has dominion over serpents. So Juan Diego goes to the bishop's residence. He says, I got the sign, I got the sign. Of course, the bishop's advisors don't wanna let him in. They wanna see what's in there. He doesn't let them, he jealously guards his his treasure. He's led into the bishop, and he opens up his tilman from the bishop for the roses to fall out, and the bishop and his advisors throw themselves on their knees, because what do they see? Not just a cloak full that has spilled out all these amazing roses in the middle of December, but they see the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And we brought her in, we have Our Lord with us, of course, and we have Our Lady, the example of Our Lady, the image of Our Lady there and alongside Our Lord. She always leads us to him. So there you see before you a copy, a really good copy of the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is on Juan Diego's tilma, right? So there are four rosaries, there, I mean, there's four miracles actually that are going on here. There's the miracle of roses in December, there's the miracle of the image of Our Lady on the tilma on his cloak, which I'll explain in a minute. And of course, his uncle is miraculously cured and doesn't die. And then there's another uh, miracle a few weeks later on the 26th of December, so that's the day after Christmas, an, a provisional chapel is built and there is a procession to the chapel with this image where they per- first put the, the, the image. And uh, the, the uh, natives are really celebrating this, this, um, this extraordinary happening. And so, you know, they're shooting off arrows and they're, and they're singing and they're dancing and they're having this great procession of this image to this chapel. And one Indian seems to be mortally wounded by an arrow, but he recovers miraculously due to the intercession of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So it's supposed that she's called Guadalupe because the Indian bishop With his Indian ear, hearing the name Quatlasupe, which means she who has dominion over serpents, with his Spanish ear, what does he hear? Guadalupe, Our Lady of Guadalupe, because he has knowledge of and familiarity with the devotion to Our Lady under the title of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Spain, patroness of the discovery of the new world. You know, Our Lady is normally named after where she appears. She appeared in Lourdes, she's referred to as Our Lady of Lourdes. She appeared at Fatima, she's referred to as Our Lady of Fatima. She appeared in Noc, she's referred to as Our Lady of Noc. She appeared in Guadalupe in Spain, she's referred to as Our Lady of Guadalupe. She appeared she appeared in Tepeyac, Tepeyac Hill, north of Mexico City. Was she referred to? Our Lady of Guadalupe, not Our Lady of Tepeyac. Why? Because they supposed that the Spanish ears heard Guadalupe, and so this day she's honored as Our Lady of Guadalupe, but The original Lady of Guadalupe, of course, it's the same woman, right, is uh, the the Guadalupe in Spain. But you see the link there between the reconquest of Spain, the re-evangelization of Spain, and the evangelization of the New World. Let me talk briefly about the miracle of the Tilma, and then I'll talk about the fruits of her apparition. So the Tilma is especially beautiful. Of course, it was not painted by any human person. We believe it is a miraculous image Placed by God through the intercession of the Mother of God, miraculously on this fiber tilma of Juan Diego's. Uh, one of my favorite stories about Guadalupe, I know this is kind of, kind of cheesy, but um, I'm trying to remember what year this was. Uh, Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, and she was on an official visit to Mexico, and they took her to Guadalupe, and she went, and the, 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 the rector of the basilica, the Monsignor, was giving her a tour, and they took her in front of the image, and she looked up and said, Wow, that's beautiful. She said, Who painted it? And the Monsignor responded, God. <laughs> I always thought that was hilarious. <laughs> In any event, yes, this was not painted by any human person. And it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been examined by many scientists and artists over time. And it's, it cannot be explained, first of all, why the fabric has lasted so long because it's basically woven reeds which should have disintegrated hundreds of years ago, right? This thing's 500 years old at this point, right? So the fabric itself should have disintegrated, right? And then the the colors of the image are still extraordinarily vibrant and strong. As a matter of fact, the colors are fused with the fibers. They're not sort of like on top of the fibers, but they become, it's almost like uh, a, a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Can't think of the word. Um, the, fi- the, the, the paint is one with the fibers. It's not sort of like on top of the fibers, like paint usually is. I'm thinking of a fresco. So, a fresco is painted on wet plaster, so when the plaster dries, the paint is actually part of the plaster. It's not sort of a layer that's covering the plaster. It's the same with this image. It's part of, the, the paint is on, it's sort of like embedded in the reed fiber, right, which should have disintegrated many years ago. And it's lasted, and its colors are still vibrant 500 years later. Now, you see the little rays of sunshine, the rays emanating from other... That was painted on later by human persons, right? When you see the image, you see copies of the image, or you go see the original image today, you'll see that the rays of all kind of like... the paint is like chipping and falling off. They're all fading. Whereas the image itself hasn't faded at all, because it's not the same. It's a miraculous image. Not only that, but many miracles have surrounded the image, not only individual and personal miracles, but during the great Cristero Wars in the 1920s, a bomb was placed in a vase on the altar when she was just covered with regular glass. The, the vase exploded and the glass was shattered and at the basilica you can see the crucifix that was on the altar is now bent and all twisted up and they have the, the as it were, the relic of the crucifix that you can venerate there, that was, just, that was total, this metal crucifix was totally bent by this blast. The image was unaffected. The glass was broken, but the image itself was not damaged. And many miracles have been worked by her since then, since she appeared. The greatest miracle being really the fruit of, the greatest fruit of all, which is conversion to Jesus. After Our Lady, Guadalu- Lady Pierre de Guadalupe, over the next 10, 20 years, 20 million people were converted to the faith in Mexico. To this date, it's the largest conversions in the 2000 year history of the church. And that is because she is, as uh, Pope John Paul called her, St. John Paul, the star of the new evangelization, the star of evangelization. We can say so because she leads us to the truth. She spoke to Juan Diego in the midst of a culture which was only recently had only recently encountered Christianity and not so long before had worshiped hummingbird wizards and false gods and practiced human sacrifices, she mentioned that she is the mother of God, the God who is the true God, who creates all things and maintains them in existence, and who is the Lord of heaven and earth. So she speaks the truth about God. And the truth that she speaks about God fundamentally is that he's not a God that demands blood and death. He's a God that desires and offers life and mercy. She also speaks the truth about man, about the human person, that God is the creator of all persons, that they're made in his image, and they're called for, that they're made for life with him. They're made for him, by him, for, for him. As a matter of fact, she is the patroness of unborn human persons, because I don't know if you know why, but you know, she's wearing a, a belt around her waist. You can see a, a black bow that is, that is tied around her waist. That is an ancient Aztec sign, Native sign that she is expecting a baby. So Our Lady of Guadalupe is Our Lady expecting the baby Jesus, right? He's in there, right? And so she's the patroness of the unborn. She speaks the truth about God. She speaks the truth about man made in the image of God. She also not only represents truth, but represents, of course, beauty. In her beauty, she draws people to her. It's hard not to be moved by this image. I first saw this image when I was a child. Uh, I spent my, second, my third and fourth grade in Mexico City. My father was assigned there, and I first went as a, um, must have been eight or nine years old. I've been blessed to go back once as a priest. But her beauty draws people to her, and you can't stop looking at her. Now they've got kind of a moving sidewalk, so you gotta kinda, and you can go, but you can kinda stand in the corner, you can kinda stand there for a while, and just keep looking, and just keep looking, and just keep looking. And her beauty speaks to the beauty of God and the beauty of the mercy that she speaks of. She represents the truth, she represents beauty, she represents goodness. The goodness of a mother that has compassion for the poor, for the suffering, like Juan Diego's uncle. She has the goodness of a mother who speaks to her children with love as she spoke to Juan Diego in the diminutive, she didn't call him Juan Diego, she called him Juan Dieguito, hijito mio. She used the diminutive when she spoke to him in Aztec, in his original language. She's also the image, as a mother, she's an image of the church, which is our nourishing mother, who, as she herself says, gathers her children under her cloak. It's an ancient image of the church, of Our Lady, with her cloak and the children standing under her cloak, because she is the nourishing mother that, with her cloak, protects and takes care of her children. And she continues to intercede for them, and as such, brings about great conversions. As I said, there have never been greater conversion, numbers of conversions in the history of the church than there were after Our Lady appeared at Guadalupe. I recommend to your prayers, anyone that you or especially need or are desiring their conversion, to turn to Our Lady of Guadalupe and ask her to bring about their conversion. She's the mother of all conversions, right? So turn to her and ask for any tough cases you have of people you'd really like to be reconciled or to turn to the Lord. Final story I just want to tell is the impression I got in my first visit to Guadalupe when I was, as I say, I was either eight or nine years old. I think we have two photographs of that day. And uh, it's interesting, you know, the things that a child remembers. I don't remember seeing the image. Of course, in those days, the image was in the old colonial basilica, not in the modern basilica, which has since been built. So this would have been in 74, 75, maybe 76 that I was there. I don't remember seeing the image, but I'll never forget as long as I live what I did see. There's a huge plaza in front of the basilica. Again, the old basilica and still the, the new basilica. And we parked and we got to the plaza and I looked and we, you get to the edge of the plaza and what did I see? I saw scores of people, maybe hundreds of people, poor people, simple people, humble people on their knees, making their way to the basilica on their knees. Let me tell you, that makes an impression on an eight-year-old. The faith and devotion of the people, the fruits of Our Lady's maternal care, their trust in her, that's what struck me as a child. Again, I don't remember looking at the image. I remember seeing it obviously a few years ago when I went as a priest, but what stays with me is the fruit of her appearance in so many people's lives and in my life. And that is her motherly care, and the confidence that people have in her. I don't know how this happened, but ever since I was a newly ordained priest, uh, I've always, every time I've given a homily, whether daily mass or Sunday mass, or whenever I've had to give a talk, I've always entrusted my words to uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe. I don't, Again, I don't know how that happened. Normally you'd think I'd ask some doctor of the church, some great priest and preacher, right? But for some reason, from the beginning, every time I preach or give a talk, I always ask Our Lady of Guadalupe to intercede for me. And, A couple times, like even tonight, I I was at a loss for looking for the word fresco, right? But uh, I've never, in a sense, been at a loss for words, or never been left hanging, or I don't think ever had a total disaster of a homily. You know, some are better than others, obviously, and some of you may beg to differ, having heard some of my homilies. But um, she's never left me, uh, never left me high and dry in a homily, for sure, or in a talk, and in any event, um, I am of all the images of Our Lady, she's the one I'm most devoted to her. I've got an image of her in my bedroom, in my office, everywhere I am, I've got uh, an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And uh, so I entrust you to her mercy, I entrust you to her prayers and to her maternal care. Of course, tomorrow is her feast day, And she is celebrated as the patroness of America. Now, in the United States, we speak of the Americas, like North America, South America, Central America. In the rest of the world, America is considered one continent. And certainly in the church, we speak of America, right? America starts from, you know, Canada all the way down to to Chile, right? Alaska all the way down to Chile. But it is, in a sense, one continent with one mother. And as Psalm one forty seven says, everywhere you go in Guadalupe, you see this line, Psalm one forty seven, verse twenty, and all the medals of our Lady Guadalupe seem to have that on it. Non feciter talit omni nazioni. She has not he has not done thus for any other nation. He has not done thus for any other nation. Yes, our lady has appeared in many places. Yes, she's interceded for many people and worked many miracles. But nowhere else has she left her own self portrait and worked the conversions that she's worked in Mexico. And let me just say, she's accompanied me and my priesthood in my life, and I'm grateful to her for it. And I entrust you to her, and I encourage you to turn to her. In that regard, I finish with my favorite prayer, which is my mother's favorite prayer that she taught me many years ago. And it's a prayer of uh, entrusting ourselves to the intercession of the mother of God. Remember, O oh, most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection implored thy assistance, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, our mother. To thee we come, before thee we kneel, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word Incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in thy clemency hear and answer them. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Juan Diego, pray for us.